terror time again. And you might just die of fright. It's a terrifying time, David, of the Twin <laughs> Geeks cast. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, joining us again this week, Murph, friend of the Twin Geeks cast. And, yes. And other Twin Geeks related shows. Mm. You were just on the Daydream cast recently, right? Or was that. I mean, just was. That was in, like, July. Ah, man. I, I, I mean, I guess that's just because that was, you know, two episodes ago for them. <laughs> I think the, I think the last time we, we talked here, when you came on for the, the Muppets show, uh, you were also just on the twin, uh, on the Daydream cast, so. Yeah. Those were, those were uh, back-to-back double doses of Murph, as we yeah. said. <laughs> and here you are again uh, with us to talk about more Muppets, and also uh, Halloween stuff. And yeah. again, we're we're sans Calvin this week. Uh, I'm I'm starting to think he doesn't like you. And Well, I, I mean, <laughs> you weren't on the last uh, Twin Geeks episode, so I've, I'm just understanding that this show now has a rotating panel of hosts. Yeah, this is this is going to be a really odd week, because... Uh, and I, I don't know if Calvin announced anything last week at the end of the show, because my... Uh, as I mentioned on the Night of the Living Dead podcast, my podcaster uh, app hasn't caught up with our own show. Oh. Uh, so I haven't been able to listen to the three episodes I've been gone for. I'm just getting back from uh, my my honeymoon. So oh. this is this is my first time back for a couple weeks. Yeah, well, we're here to talk about Halloween, of which I'm an expert. Yes, uh, as of with many things, I'm sure. But yes, Halloween in particular... Uh, and you and I, since I've been back, have been kind of swapping and, and watching some uh, Halloween stuff, but of a, of a particular variety, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'll am i be excited for Calvin to come back, and we can talk about our typical stuff, you know, your Exorcists, your your Halloweens, you know, your, your Michael Myers films and such, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're not always the most, you know, Halloween-y films, even despite the their most... title sometimes. Aesthetically appropriate. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a certain vibe to Halloween films, particularly for for many of us who grew up with the with the holiday. You know, it, it's a very kid centric holiday, is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Halloween is a very nostalgic holiday um, because you don't always know it's your last night trick or treating until it's your next attempt to trick or treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's a bit of ennui there, um, but you know it's a night that you get to like stay up late. You get to eat candy. Um, like I can't remember any time I've been scared on Halloween. <laughs> Can you? I'm I'm trying to think. Um, not no. Not, not in particular. Maybe if there was like a really dark neighborhood, I was down when I was really young, mm. but not nothing, nothing that particularly stands out or scarred me. Uh, you know, yeah. for sure, I, I have different memories. And my understanding of you know the idea of th- this this idea of Halloween, uh, you know, where people dress up as doctors and Pac Man or whatever, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it's not a universal sentiment, as Halloween isn't in general. This this notion of Halloween is very American centric, very and, American suburb. Yeah, yeah, that, and that especially uh, this idea, at least, that's being you know of Halloween that's perpetuated through 
popular culture that we see pop up in the movies all the time. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, so I, I think for for our own sake and, and diving back into what we feel like the holiday is represented for us since we were kids, um, we try and reflect that in the way that we celebrate it uh, on a yearly yeah. basis. I, I have lots of fond Halloween memories. You know, I, I first got together with my wife during Halloween. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. We, we actually, we worked at a, uh, uh, we were working at a haunted house together. And, oh, I and, don't think I knew that. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And and <laughs> I pro, and I uh, proposed to her at a Halloween party. No, so, uh, man. Like, yeah. Geez, you may be more tied to the holiday than I. Maybe a little bit. I mean, I just kind of stuck with it, and that's why, you know, I just got married in October. I was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we might as well just keep it going. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely got some significance there for me and, and for us. I'll say us now, me me and the wife. Mm-hmm. We actually, we're, we're just finishing up decorating finally now that we're back. Yeah, do you have your 12-foot uh, Home Depot skeleton? <laughs> we have him. He's going to get set up later today. We've been doing the inside. We had to mess with all those damn, like, web crap, you know? Oh, I, you know, I was joking. Things. I didn't know that you actually got a 12-foot skeleton. Yes! Oh, yes, we did. I've, I've hinted towards it a couple times on the podcast. But yes, we, 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 we got it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yes, I, I will be sending pictures your way once we get him set up later. That's great. Um... I think that Halloween is a very uh, cinematic holiday um, because, uh, you know, when once you're done trick-or-treating, what do you do? You go home, you count your candy, and you turn on the TV. Yeah. And what's usually playing are, like, Halloween specials. Um, it's, it's second maybe only to Christmas in terms of cinematic potential. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think you could go either way on saying which is more, but no other holiday I think comes close to either of them. You know, you've got a, a handful of Easter movies, and you can lump in all the kind of like like the biblical Demille stuff in there as well. <laughs> you know, it's like sure. it's a religious holiday. Yeah, Jesus, you know, came back on this day or something. Uh, but other holidays don't really have the same vibe. Like, what are there like three New Year's movies and? Like maybe only half of them are good because you know, like the the final act takes place on New Year's and that's yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, Halloween and Christmas both went out because they both have a very clear aesthetic. They yeah. have clear uh, themes, they have colors, and they have imagery that you can all pull from. I, Whereas... I think you're you're right on the money there. Uh, even though I guess. Thanksgiving kind of cribs a little bit from Halloween's aesthetic, but Thanksgiving is Christmas without presents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way, and and colonialism thrown in yeah, for good measure. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, Why so not? when you were when you were a little a little David growing up, um, uh, you know, when you were six foot five in yeah. the third grade, uh, mm-hmm. what sort of what sort of Halloween specials did you watch? Like, do you uh, have any? Well, well, I guess we're going to start that young for really going to Freud this one up. Um, <laughs> uh, I I suppose I should start where it makes most sense for, for my generation there, and we could dive into the, the, the Disney Halloween specials. Oh, yeah. Do you have any fondness for many of those? Um, now, do you mean, like, the sort of sc- shorts, like Lonesome Ghosts, or... Um, I, I meant more the, 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 the original movies, the feature-length... Oh, 
like Nightmare Before Christmas? No, no. I mean, that was, you know, uh, I guess before. So, like, Nightmare Before Christmas is obviously uh, a significant one that we've covered here on the podcast before. And, and you mm-hmm. know, it's it's kind of a perfect encapsulation, I think, of, like, this one's really got the spirit. It somehow manages to both do Halloween and Christmas at the same time. That's that's really impressive, aesthetically. But, no, I'm talking more like your your Halloween towns. Those were the, uh... the, the David Core movies of the middle school years. Yeah, Halloween Town. Um, I actually live only a, like an hour away from yeah. like the actual Halloween Town where it was filmed. I, I've, I've looked into that before since we're fairly close. We're, we're actually recording this only two houses away from each other right now. Uh, I, uh, could, I could serve. Murph, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you just fine. Um, I'm recording right now. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll keep it down. But um. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 town where they uh, shot the film uh, seems kind of like a ripoff to go go visit. It seems very expensive and uneventful. Yeah, but the memories will last a lifetime. <laughs> you get to see the giant pumpkin that it's they have big, in the middle. It's a big pumpkin, David. <laughs> it's larger than a usual pumpkin is. You know, uh, Asia likes to remind me that. Uh, you know, the star of the series, Kimberly J. Brown, she has her own Etsy page where she makes lots of memorabilia for, for the, the series and whatnot. She's obviously got mm-hmm. a, a personal connection with this still, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, I don't have that much connection to Halloween Town, actually. I, I, uh, I do, and uh, I've, I've gone back and watched the first two, at least, because those are the ones I own on a, on a DVD pack. I haven't mm-hmm. gone back and watched some of the other ones. There was one later where they replaced Kimberly J. Brown, and uh, uh. I don't think that was a good idea. Because she she was very much like you, you, you that would be like the same as replacing Debbie Reynolds in in the series. It's mm. like come on they've they put their identity into here. But the first one is like really mediocre. It's very <laughs> cheap looking. Yeah, that the acting like the kids are so young in it that it's just they're all really terrible. <laughs> it's it is really hard to watch. Uh, even yeah. though it does have. The aesthetic, it's it's very fun. I enjoy the second one a lot more because the kids are, like, you know, more in their teenage years. They're like, oh, okay, I know how to actually act now a little bit. It has a budget yeah, and uh, a plot. It's, it's the one where everyone in, like, the mortal world is getting turned into monsters based on the masks that they're wearing. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and I'm like, this is a, it's, it's a really cool idea. Uh, it has a lot of fun set pieces and such i think there's some actual good like effects work once people start turning into creatures you know like different costuming and makeup and stuff yeah i remember that much yeah so that that one i have great fondness for even if i can recognize it's it's faults but uh first one not as much love for uh i might watch it every five years or now just to like remind myself yeah i liked this once but (laughs) yeah but no, those were those were the ones I think that really made some of the first impressions that were also like really targeted towards me as as mm-hmm. a kid, and they were just they were in my circle uh, at the time. So that's that's where I'd say my history with the uh, benevolent Halloween, as as you coined it. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. There's uh, I as far as like Disney Channel original movies, uh, I was always more partial to Under Wraps. Mm-hmm. What about the mummy? Because that's got um, I rewatched that recently, like uh, last year, and it's got a very dark, morbid sense of humor. Um, uh, 
that kind of flew over my head as a kid. There's a lot of like dismemberment <laughs> jokes and ugh. Wow, that that one comes up all the time uh, when people talk about fondly about the, um, you know, the good Disney Channel original movies. You know, there's like a small amount of them, and that one usually comes up even outside of the the Halloween circles, you know, discussion. Yeah. Uh, as as one of the the, the better efforts, um, it was one I never caught on TV. Surprisingly, I don't know why. Uh, they just remade it for Disney Plus. That seems like a smart move. I think I think a new generation would enjoy that ip mummies mummies need to make a comeback i mean i don't know what tom cruise is doing but <laughs> i thought there was supposed to be a franchise there or did i imagine the dark universe mummies are probably the most interesting thing to become a horror subject you know mm. uh just because of how weird like it all starts you know the 31 i think it's the 1931 film with boris karloff and yeah. they made that they made they only made that because like you know 10, 15 years prior, they they uncovered King Tut's, you know, tomb. Yeah. And and that was kind of the whole start of a, a mummy craze in, in the world. Everyone's like, ooh, Egyptian stuff, is it's interesting again. And so yeah. they made a horror-themed mummy movie, and now you, you see the mummy at every, you know, uh, <laughs> every party because he was a, you know... Uh, he, he was a universal property in the 30s, and then that got played every year on, on TV for forever. <laughs> it's also but, a very easy costume to make. Yeah. It's it's just, it's very interesting to me how the mummies became, like, a a Halloween icon. Because, like, if you if you approach it from a more, you know, direct sense of what they are, it, it doesn't, like, really click. Again, a lot of these yeah. are more, more established uh, horror presence is well you know, you know not... it's, the mummy is very it's an exotic creature whereas most yeah. of our universal monsters are distinctly european <laughs> yeah i suppose that that's the case it's just interesting you don't get a whole lot of like aside from the zombies which we talked about in night of the living dead episode mm. um like 20th century creations of of, of horror icons is uh or, or at least phenomenons on a more you know universal scale uh, not to be popular. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not as common. Mm-hmm. When you were a kid, did you like being scared? I don't think so. No, <laughs> no I, I don't. I, I never particularly like. I, I, I still don't. Uh, I talked about, you know, getting to know my wife in uh, when, when we worked at a haunted house together. But I don't like going through haunted houses myself. No. Uh, I, I get I get very punchy. Uh there was one time where, where we were going through. <laughs> do, the, you? The, do, do yeah, you? Get, yeah, get punchy. I do. David, David punch? punch. David Punch gets punchy in a haunted house. We were going through the uh, the Universal Studios one at one point, and there was a guy who was kind of crouched on the ground. He came close, and I literally like swung at him just instinctually, and I came very close to hitting him. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I this may come as a surprise, but I'm not a big horror guy. I don't like being made uncomfortable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, with, but I love reading horror movie synopses because <laughs> I like I like learning the the myth and lore around their monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's mainly why I prefer what we uh, what I have coined as benevolent Halloween because you get that you get all that sort of myth and uh, like craft of a monster without it being scary. Yeah, well, yeah, without it trying to, like, 
terrify you, I guess, in a, in a more yeah. existential sense. There, there's definitely, like, you could divvy up the horror genre into, you know, a variety of ways. Like, the very cheap, more modern ones, which are, you know, trying to scare you by just, like, you know, uh, coming out with gross effects and, you know, very sudden yeah. jolts. They're, they're very cheap and, and, yeah, they get scares, but, you know, they're... They're very disingenuous. And then there's, like, the more unnerving, you know, dreadful kind of horror films. The, you know, the, the more uh, iconic Psychological. Classics. Yeah. Uh, and they really stand the test of time. Uh, but it's, it's always interesting what people choose to include for their, their uh, Halloween watches as, as horror. Mm-hmm. Some things never make sense to me. Like, again, because we talked about aesthetic. Like, yeah, The Thing is one of the greatest horror films ever made, but... It takes place in Antarctica. Yeah. There's no... <laughs> Wilfred Brimley's not carving a jack-o'-lantern and then suddenly gets taken <laughs> over. Yeah. Um, it's it's not good Halloween watching, uh, as, as brilliant a movie as it is. Yeah, I mean, there are movies set around Halloween that I would not qualify, like E.T., technically a Halloween movie. Yeah. It's it, it doesn't have the the spooky factor. There's a, no, uh, and it doesn't really tie into any sort of like Halloweenish themes. Yeah. So you know, just because a, a a Halloween movie, a benevolent Halloween movie, is not scary, doesn't mean that it doesn't have some some frights to it. You know, I, yeah. you need you need the spooky factor still. No, and I I believe it is important to scare children. Yeah, you know, within reason. Um. You know, uh, case in point, I've rewatched uh, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, and that movie still holds up tremendously because those zombies are terrifying. Mm-hmm. They're like withered corpses, and they've got like saliva hanging out. At one point, Fred rips one's head off, which I mean, kudos <laughs> to Fred; he doesn't skip arm day. Uh, you, but you, then, you... Fred looks like a guy who who. Probably could. If, if anyone in Mystery Inc. could could rip a, a zombie's head off, I would put money on Fred. Yeah. Uh, well, Shaggy has canonically gone to military camp. So. <laughs> That's um, interesting. Yeah, I, I went and rewatched all those '90s direct-to-video uh, Scooby-Doo yeah, movies. They, they were a real turning point for the series, particularly Zombie Island, wasn't it? Oh, that was it just the first absolutely time. revived it. Yeah. And, um, of those, uh, like, I, I counted as Zombie Island, Witches, Ghost, Alien Invaders. Some people throw in Cyber Chase, they're heretics. <laughs> that's good, to, that's good to know that that one doesn't count. That, I think that was when they stopped doing the hand animation, right? Like, that's, that's mm-hmm. Yeah, they were switching over to, uh, What's New Scooby-Doo. Right, so that, that one definitely kind of separates it there. I, I remember all of them, though, very distinctly growing up, and they were all oh, of, of considerable quality. They're very, like, visually memorable. They've got these great backgrounds, real earthy colors. It's a very down-to-earth Scooby-Doo, and I think that's what helps sell it, because it's, you know, the gang is grown up, and now they're dealing with, quote-unquote, real monsters. Um, right. And I think Zombie Island kind of has this a, a genuine mystery about it, because if you if you don't know what the twist is, that the zombies are real, then you're kind of along with the gang figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it fumbles in the last act with the cat monsters, which are very oh. silly looking. Oh, is that, yeah, that is that one, isn't that? That's a very weird idea to throw in. Yeah, they're not, uh, they're unnamed cat god. Uh, 
Yeah, but, uh, and then you get Witch's Ghost, which is probably more of a Halloween movie because it's actually set at fall. Um, but one thing I never realized as a kid <clears throat> is that the last 30 minutes of that is just an action sequence, and it's not very Scooby-Doo-ish. Like, I don't like seeing Scooby-Doo do action. Isn't that the one with the, the hex girls, though? Isn't that what It has the hex girls, and the hex yeah, girls they're, they're... are very memorable and formative to young Murph's life. Right. <laughs> um, one thing I completely forgot is that movie ends with like an environmentalist message and song. I think I remember that because they're that they're eco goths, but... David. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and then there was the one more, the alien one. Yeah. Alien invaders, not very Halloween ish, but you gotta you gotta finish the trilogy. Um, if I remember, the twist of that one is that. So the aliens are actually people in costumes, and then the people who have been, like, the hippie and her dog... Crystal and Amber. Yeah. They're, they've been aliens the whole time. Yes. That's the, that's the twist that's of that That's the one. twist. <laughs> the, I think Alien Invaders is the one that doesn't hold up, like, to any amount of scrutiny, scrutiny <laughs> because the, the villain's plan is that they're government agents that found gold, and their plan was to scare people away by doing alien stuff. You could just arrest them, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've seen what the government does when it wants a piece of land. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they don't have to go through all this alien bullshit. No, totally. <laughs> was, yeah. Um, but Alien Vaders, I, I, I do have a soft spot for because um, it, it's good to get sh see Shaggy get some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He, he deserves him. <laughs> well, I would say if we keep going in a formative direction here, uh, mm. kind of the next step up from there is is the the, the Tim Burtons of yeah. the you know the era. There, there's lots of those of his that qualify in that you know your 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 Beetlejuices, uh, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas we mentioned, and then. You know some of the the lesser ones, Corpse Bride and uh, Corpse Bride is very lesser. Yeah. yeah, I I agree. I mean, I it was kind of in the same camp for me growing up. I enjoyed it then, but uh, watching not... watching Corpse Bride as an adult, I realized just how many like plot threads that movie drops. Mm -hmm. Like Johnny Depp's parents vanish from the movie. <laughs> it's it's just not as good. Uh, it, it's it's on it's on the trajectory of Burton's like downswing. As a director, uh, I, I would say, I don't know, I, it, it, I guess Sleepy Hollow is, is kind of in there. That's leaning way more, a bit more towards, like, actual horror, though. It's almost think, a slasher film. I think Sleepy Hollow, uh, Sleepy Hollow qualifies <laughs> as a sort of adult, benevolent Halloween. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, and that's the thing, is what, what I, we can try and go into as well, is that the more adult-oriented benevolent halloween because most of these are kind of like kid friendly but they don't have to be yeah uh although i guess on the kid friendly end uh while we're talking about sleepy hollow there's also the disney sleepy hollow adaptation mm. ichabod with... crane yeah um but that's an that's an odd one to pick out because you basically have to skip to ichabod crane otherwise right. you watch mr toad which is a christmas movie yeah <laughs> it's also the better one of the two i think <laughs> uh Ichabod Crane is? No, no, I like Mr. Toad better. 
Oh. Mm. I don't know. Mm. There, there's 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 something about that 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 Mad Toad voiced by Eric Bloor that yeah, is very entertaining. I, I'll, I'll I'll give you that. As much as I love Bing Crosby sing narrating the entirety of of a Disney special, I just find it kind of generally underwhelming. No, it is, but it does have that great headless horseman design. Yeah, and that yeah, laugh. Oh, I love that laugh. Yeah, but that's just like so little of of it going on. It's mostly just Ichabod, like no, it's literally around, the story of food. Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can throw that one on if you want. You just got to pull up your Disney Plus subscription and kind of skip ahead thirty minutes. Yeah, I'll say that. Um, you know, this is the one credit I'll give corporations this Halloween is that streaming services have been a boon for finding benevolent Halloween things um, because it means it's easy to find Halloween episodes of your favorite shows. Yeah, that's that's also another one that's kind of probably an overlooked area. Like every every show has a, a Halloween episode of some kind, every sitcom or every animated show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm. The the best of them though I don't know do you, do you have any personal favorites on the TV front? Hmm. There was not necessarily my favorite, but one that always sticks out in my mind. Do you remember Camp Laszlo? Oh, not now that you mentioned it on yes. Cartoon Network. Yeah. Wow. What a what a weird rush of memory. <laughs> that had an episode titled Meat Man, um, where the characters. Uh, look, it's, it's it's a wacky cartoon show, so you're just going to have to roll with what I say. The characters make a doll out of lunch meat, uh-huh. and they call it Meat Man, and he's their new best friend until they start finding other things to play with, and then Meat Man gets jealous, and then he <laughs> replaces them one by one, and the episode ends with all the characters theoretically dead. <laughs> and that that was chilling <laughs> as a child. Wow. I'm sure there's other series. Like, you could just probably pull any episode of Courage, the Cowardly Dog. Or go Courage, back more classic yeah, I could and, never, and do... I could never watch Courage. Courage oh. scared the... Uh, going back to Scooby-Doo, um, I miss VHSs, because VHSs always had a lot of crap on them, besides just the movie, and you couldn't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> I think it was the VHS for Alien Invaders had an episode of Courage at the end of it, and mm-hmm. it was the um, the the King Ramses one. Oh, oh yes, the, the famous slab. one. Mm-hmm. That scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> I can imagine. It, it definitely was a show that was kind of meant to to, to terrify young young kids, and it was effective. Mm-hmm. And Courage recently had a crossover with Scooby Doo. Recently, they they brought him back. Oh yeah, this year, like this month. Oh, oh, wow, that's interesting. Scooby-Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Dog. Um, it's the last performance of uh, Muriel's voice actress. Oh. Well, that's nice that she got to go out on something, you know, mm. significant? Is this significant? I don't know. <laughs> it's cute. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's more Scooby-Doo than it is Courage. Yeah, well, that's usually the case with these crossovers, isn't it? Mm. I guess now is a good time to move on to, now that we've gone through the childhood classics, what are your adult Murph favorites now? The the regular, the annual watches? That the the annual watches. Um, I do always work in Nightmare Before Christmas, because it feels obligatory. Yeah. Um, 
Do you, do you put it at the end of the year more so? I try and put it towards the end of the uh So the, to the marathon. you, is Nightmare Before Christmas more a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? It's more of a Halloween movie. Because I, I never watch it past October. I We have occasionally around Christmas, but more we, we watch it uh, on, on Halloween. Which uh, is odd, because technically... It does that. The start is on Halloween, right? And then most of the action takes place in November. So technically, it's a Thanksgiving movie. Eh, not really, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yes. I've seen people try and argue that it's the perfect Thanksgiving movie because it takes place right between you know October and you know December. I'm like, there's nothing about D- this. David, that's... <laughs> David, it's about appropri- appropriation. <laughs> You know what? You, you make a good argument. <laughs> yeah, I think I've. Um, I think when I was a kid, I tried to force myself to have a Tim Burton phase. And now that I'm older, um, I'm just kind of content to be like my favorite's Big Fish, and the other are the others are ex- aesthetically pleasing. Um, I, I feel like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas has actually diminished for me as I've gotten older. I think that's interesting. Uh, I I think it's only really solidified. I I but I also have a hard time separating it from my 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 rose tinted perspective of mm-hmm. it. Uh, I feel like aesthetically and uh, but but I will say that it feels more like a Danny Elfman movie than it does a Tim Burton movie, doesn't it? I mean, technically, it's Henry Selleck. I know, but like <laughs> Danny Elfman is the star of that yeah. movie. Like his his music, his singing, you know, providing the the voice for Jack. It's it just feels like it's the Danny Elfman show all over the place. That those are the, some of the things that stand out the most is that the, uh, I feel really wrapped up in the music every time. I think it's, yeah. a, it's a terrific musical as well as being you know aesthetically a a, a giant of the, the the stop motion era mm-hmm. or kind of. And I guess that's something else to say is that Halloween really lends itself to stop motion a lot, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, because stop motion is the benevolent Halloween of artistic forms <laughs> because it has that um it has that gentle unnervingness about it it's not quite uncanny valley but it is sort of like psychologically strange to see dolls walking around I, yeah i think you're you're right even more so than than for christmas you know which obviously has the uh you know association with all those those ranking bass specials but mm. uh halloween uh, you know has even more uh you know you've got Leica studios who've made at least two you know yeah. uh perennial favorites you've got um all the tim burton ones you know and the tim burton alikes you've even got a, a wallace and gromit halloween film yeah curse of the werewrap it's great mm-hmm. i need to watch that actually <laughs> yeah it's it's not one that's made my list as much but uh I mean, how many good werewolf films are there even to begin with? So good on them for, for making something that's a little uh, outside the box. Alvin and the Chipmunks meet the Wolfman. That's that's one of the good ones? It has, <laughs> I guess. It has a very memorable mid-song, if I remember correctly. They go like, little brother is Mr. Hyde. Because Theodore got bitten, you see, and I, I'm going to go on a tangent, but like... Go, go. No, no, let's, let's, re- let's rein it back. Okay, uh, okay. As far as, like, actually adult films that I watch for Halloween, uh, Young Frankenstein. Young Young Frankenstein, I will attest to, is still being essentially a 
perfect in in terms of you know parody. Uh, oh yeah, like you know, Mank. This is how you tribute uh, old Hollywood movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you, you actually go. shoot it like one. It, and it's it's honestly like terrific, and and I think the 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 restraint that Mel Brooks is able to showcase in this one really like you know solidifies it as being you know a terrific film. Uh, it yeah, came out right. Th- that is his like most restrained film because yeah. it has very few anachronistic jokes. Hmm. And I know part of that is because Gene Wilder really wanted you know to kind of keep the you know him contained. Yeah. He he was really passionate about the project, uh, and so th- th- that's like the reason why you don't see a, a a Mel Brooks cameo in the film, for instance, is that Gene didn't want him to to do that. Yeah, you know, because he was afraid of how it would, you know, break break the illusion of it. Because it really is; it's a very faithful uh, encapsulation of the first three Frankenstein films. Yeah, and it it gets funnier once you've actually seen Frankenstein, because yeah. you're like, oh, they are specifically parodying this like specific scene yeah very very specific scenes the scene with the blind man with gene hackpin that's from bride oh, of frankenstein very yeah. very explicit there's the scene with the little girl uh which is a parody of you know in the first film as well mm-hmm. the uh the policeman who's uh played by uh i'm blanking on his name right now he's in a lot of mel brooks movies mm-hmm. <laughs> he's german <laughs> Um, yeah, he's got the, the the wooden arm. Looking up his name now, uh, yeah. Kenneth Mars. That's right. The, the the police officer played by Kenneth Mars uh, is a riff on a similar character in Son of Frankenstein. Yeah, I, I remember that now. Yeah, um, and oh, even the fact that a lot of the film uses many of the the sets, the actual sets from the original. I think they had they contacted one of the people who you know uh, worked on it, and they they happened to still have like all those giant like electrical coils and stuff lying around so they that that helped them in you know faithfully recreating the the look and the atmosphere of the the frankenstein films and again you know another part of it which makes it so great is how like straight it's able to tell the jokes there's very little yeah. winking at the audience i think most of it's reserved for for um, Mar- marty feldsman character yeah or igor <laughs> and i think that's that's key to any sort of uh, benevolent halloween we're going to keep saying it until it's on a shirt. Um, yeah. Benevolent Halloween movie is you got to play it straight. Um, because I think I, I've watched some modern like kid Halloween movies. And anytime they have anything remotely scary, they undercut it by having like a character wink to the camera or say a joke. And it's like, you know, just let just let it be scary for a moment because yeah. that's that's what's going to stick out in the kids minds. I, I think my favorite example of a benevolent Halloween film that makes sure to sell the scary with the, the kid-friendly appeal mm-hmm. is uh, Monster House. Yeah, uh, Monster House is good. I have difficulty watching it because it's ugly as sin. I I disagree. <laughs> I I think the fact that you know it, it embraces that that aesthetic of it, the because uh, it's an early it's an early motion capture film, like one of the very early um, of the Robert Zemeckis. It's actually, I believe it's third. Yeah, it, did he produce it? I don't remember. Yeah, no, it's one. it's a, it's part of the Robert Zemeckis like Polar Express, Beowulf, right. Mars Needs Moms. Well, it's definitely you know Head and Shoulders a better film than all of those. <laughs> no, yeah, because they got um. 
I believe it's a Brad Bird. Mm, no, it looks like it's directed by Jill Kennan, who oh okay, who directed the Poltergeist remake mm. and City of Ember and a boy called Christmas. This is okay. called, oh that's that's coming out this year. Okay, <laughs> okay. So so not not like a terribly well known director, but the I think the film is very terrific. It's written by Dan Harmon. I don't know if you knew that. Okay, that's what. Um... I, I don't know why I said Brad Bird when I was thinking of Dan Harmon. <laughs> yeah, so so Dan Harmon wrote the script, and famously, he, he's kind of disowned the film because they did make it a lot scarier than his script initially called mm-hmm. for, and he didn't like that. But I, I love how the house is actually, like, genuinely terrifying. Oh, it's yeah. An, it's animated really well as well, and I love the, the conceit of it. It's, it's this, and you can see how the house kind of constructs itself in a, in a monster like way with the windows, as eyes, the carpet as like yeah. a tongue. And you've got the broken boards, as teeth. It's really well, you know, realized on a, on a visual level. And again, the, because it's Dane Harmon, the writing is really strong. It's got good character work and it's, it's got Halloween aesthetic for days. It takes place on Halloween. It's kind of all wrapped up in the holiday. Like that's, you know, kind of a big central point of it is that it takes place on the holiday and they're trying to, yeah. you know, uh, get you know like like you know people are gonna like the threat is essentially is that kids are gonna come up and you know try and knock on the the door of the house and it's gonna eat them yeah we we did an in-depth discussion i think last year on monster house because it's it's probably my my top seasonal favorite we we usually start the year off by watching monster house to kind of set the mood because i think it's a, a really good tone setter for the rest of the year it's it's kind of this perfect emblematic benevolent halloween film for me just enough you know seasonal appeal it's got the spooky without being scary but also has you know some real genuine thrills and it's just a fun watch i don't get tired of it mm-hmm. and like i said i like how it looks i think the the aesthetic works in its favor it really you know goes into it uh I, you know the it's not so refined yet that it's you know truly uncanny like i feel like they really leave room like it doesn't look like no. the tom hanks train conductor like nobody looks like their performer yeah you know, no they, they look, look like animated characters which is why that one's aged better than the other robert zemeckis uh films mm-hmm. yeah so so that one i think really is is kind of like the the, the defining one of like it's got actual scares to it as well as, you know, being mild generally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this Halloween, for the first time, I watched something that I know is a favorite of Cal's, uh, mm-hmm. which is the Halloween tree. The the, the Ray Bradbury uh, short. Ray yeah. Bradbury short. Ray, Ray, Ray Bradbury. Har- Harbulary Batteries. <laughs> um. Yeah, which is unfortunately difficult to find, but our good friends at Tubi uh, have it available for free. So, oh, that's that's very nice. It is is definitely been a very apparent favorite of his for years. He watches it like four times a year. I I know some people that are like other than Calvin that are diehard about this movie. Um, it's I think it's good. I I literally never heard of it before meeting Calvin. It's it's one of the yeah. <laughs> It, it's one of those that seems you're either diehard about it because you grew up with it, or you've never heard of it because it like only aired a few times. Um, but I would say if this had 
Um, if I could, like, reach back in time and put this VHS on my shelf, I probably would love this movie a lot, too. Um, it's got great fall colors and, like, just a great aesthetic. The Halloween tree itself, I wish I had, like, a model of that. Um, and you've got Leonard Nimoy, uh, having just a ball of a time as this sort of antagonistic, but also somewhat benevolent, like, teacher character. Or, like, I guess he's a wizard. You would qualify him. He does magic. Um, and what the basic conceit is, is it's, like, going through history and sort of uncovering the origins of Halloween. They go to, like, ancient Egypt, and um, uh, they go to France, and, uh, like, early England, like, Celtic England, and then do, uh, like, Spain with the, or Mexico with Dia de los Muertos. And what's great about it is it never, like, outwardly says, oh, this is, this here is the first Halloween, children. Instead, it goes for a angle of, like, there have always been Halloween-like holidays. People have always celebrated um, death and being scared, and what is why? You know, what what is the reason for that? And it finds a very deep and um, introspective message about, like, we absorb scary content to make us more comfortable with death and the macabre. Um, and that way, you know, if you have a holiday about celebrating your past loved ones, then that makes their passing all that much easier. And that's just a very, a very strong and deep message for a children's thing. It's like, I don't, yeah, I, if I was a kid watching that, I'm not sure I would have really, like, understood it. And it also has, um, like, consequences, which is weird to say. Um, it ends on, like, the kids basically making a, a deal with the devil to save their friend. And that's not, like, reneged on. I, I think one of the important things that gets lost in a lot of kids' media nowadays is genuine peril. Like we we need to see kids in actual danger at times, you know. You know, they're, they're like you said, just in the same way that scaring them is important. Uh, I think seeing them in in actual, you know, precarious situations is is something that gets lost because we're afraid of, uh, you know, like like putting a, a bad impression on them or, or some way. But that's you know, it it just dilutes their their film watching experiences, you know, by not giving them that same privilege. Yeah, as but, as yeah. Sean Bean said in the good half of Game of Thrones, <laughs> the only time a man can be brave is when he's afraid. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a good quote there for this. But yeah, the, the Halloween tree sounds like a, uh, it, a fantastic little nugget. Uh, yeah, if only there. it was more easily accessible. It, it reminds me a lot. This is not a benevolent Halloween movie, but I'm going to throw it in because I will... <laughs> Never, I will always look for a reason to talk about this movie. Winnie the Pooh's Grand Adventure <laughs> is one of the best kids' movies. It's one of the best Disney movies, flat out. That movie is unnerving because Winnie the Pooh is in genuine peril for most of it, and they don't they don't dial it back at all. Yeah, picture the log scene from Peter Jackson's King Kong, but it's Winnie the Pooh and his friends. <laughs> Let me go ahead and pull out a couple more uh, more adult ones, ones I've discovered more in, in, in recent years. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, ones that you would 
not show your kids, I would think, but no. but are perfectly and they've got they've got seasonal aesthetic for days. I would argue, you know, some of these films have it more than others, particularly um, when we talked about last year as well, which was Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Amazing, amazing film. Uh, it's I can't believe how thoroughly it was maligned for for decades. It's now coming around. Everyone's finally yeah. appreciating it for for being great. Um. And again, it's it's not even really that scary, you know. No, it's, got... it's, it's not. It's it is the most like when we were talking about like what are some benevolent Halloween movies, and yeah. I I asked like what is what would be an adult equivalent of that, and it occurred to me right away. Oh, Season of the Witch. Yeah, yeah, and it's great because again, it's it's definitely got some thrilling moments. You know, the the opening sequences like hooked me right away the first time I saw it. I'm like, there's just like this, you know, malevolent force chasing this guy down. He murders him in cold blood and then he douses himself in gasoline and sets a car on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that, that that was an intense opening and, and I was hooked from there on. And again, it's it's like it's you know, it's not a cheerful film like the, the there are no good characters really like the your no. protagonist is like a, a, a womanizing you know uh drinker you know like 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 drunkard you know who's kind of just going along with this you know mystery of you know the 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 silver shamrock mask conspiracy mm-hmm. so he can kind of hook up with this younger girl it's really sleazy yeah but like in in an enjoyable way i think uh some some people might take issue with with the the relationship there, but I think it's perfectly in character. Well, it's and... fine because of the twist about that girl character. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it ultimately doesn't matter. <laughs> but other other ones kind of in that vein. Uh, again, an, another one. This one's maybe it, it appears to have a little more child appeal, but I would argue is actually even less appealing for a child than Halloween Three, which is uh, Trick or Treat. Um, Never seen it. Uh, I think it's it's for. I kind of go back and forth because I, I think I wore myself out on it over the years, and I started seeing more of its mediocre elements. But like Halloween three, it's got the aesthetic for for days. It's just it's a Halloween movie mm-hmm. through and through. Uh, but it's and it's one of the better anthologies, uh, Halloween anthologies that I've seen. Okay. Uh, not again, like with any anthology, you're going to get a mixed bag. Not all are going to be great, but it does. Uh, I admire its effort to tie them all in with one another. You see the events of other ones playing out in like the background or in between, you know, bits okay, that's in, in the other sequences. Yeah, and it tries to cover as many things about the holiday as well. There's one I, th- I think probably the best one involves a group of of kids who go. Uh, they go to this old quarry. And they're they're doing this tradition of uh, like sacrificing these these pumpkins or bringing these pumpkins to uh, honor these these kids mm-hmm. who who died in uh, on Halloween Monday. It's kind of a morbid one where it's like there was a <laughs> it's probably messed up in retrospect, but uh, like all the parents kind of pull together to pay off a bus driver to get rid of all of their dis- disabled kids because they're they're such a plague on them <laughs> like, like oh, so geez. so he so he crashes the bus into to a quarry and yeah so so there's like a whole thing about that it's again it's definitely not something you would show your your kids and it oh. can get a little it can get a little gory in in one or two sections but it's i think it's really good and again like i said the aesthetic 
uh, is, is very Halloween-y. Um, you know, you got people in costumes trick-or-treating all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely recommend it. It's just, it's definitely a bit more on the intense side. Um, but yeah, uh, I know they made like a, a comic for it as well, and there have been talks of sequels. It could be a real, it could have been a really good like successor to Halloween Three if, if it was like you know yeah. if they, if they especially went leaning into the anthology aspect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I just guess they, they they haven't really done much with it since uh, I know Michael Doherty, the director, went on to do Krampus. He did a Christmas one, and okay. then he just he just recently did the a Godzilla movie. Yeah, King of the Monsters. Yeah. People liked that, didn't they? Or did they not like that one? I, I like that. Both. I, it was a bit of both. Like, it was pol- polarizing? I don't know. <laughs> Every Godzilla movie's polarizing. That's true. Except for the first, I guess. Yeah. That, see, I think that, I guess speaking of which, Godzilla is a great example of a horror movie that's definitely not a Halloween movie. Oh, no, totally. I wouldn't even... I mean, yeah, I guess it's horrifying, but... It's it's usually classified as a horror film. It's got monsters. Yeah, but I don't like consider Tremors a horror movie. See, that was one I was gonna bring up here because I've got a list of films. I look through everyone's. I look through like Variety or like you know Bet- Better Homes or whatever. It's like lists of oh fifty Halloween films you can you know watch with the family. Sure. And Tremors showed up on a couple. I'm like, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> I'm not sure I would show Tremors to a child. I saw Tremors as a child, and it it scared me. Um, But now that I'm an adult, (laughs) um, I don't consider it that that scary. It's not that scary. Again, if it's Jaws in Nevada, it's uh, it's not even as scary as Jaws is in moments. And Jaws isn't even that scary. Hmm. No. But yeah, uh, well, one more for for the adult house here, and that's the the uh, the Japanese favorite Hausu. Okay, I've heard a lot. I, has Hausu had like a resurgence? Because I yeah. feel like I hear people talking about it more and more. I've well, never seen it, but it's been it's been surging over here since like the mid 2000s did like a did like a bread tuber do a video essay on it or something <laughs> well like it got most of his attention when criterion released it ah um, so being part of the criterion collection gave it some notable prestige and you know it got a bit more distribution over here and and as i've kind of said everywhere uh the the only reason anything is ever popular is because it's made you know been brought to more eyes than than anyone you know distribution uh, is is the name of the game for anything, you know the only reason there's uh, you know any underrated classics is just because it's harder to get a hold of them like we kind of talked about with Halloween Tree, so Hausu which came out in 1977 really had no significance over here until very recently in the last two decades. Because it finally made its way to enough eyes uh, over, you know, in this country. And it is wild. It is a wacky film. It is unconventional as hell. I and saw it's a... HBO Max has it under the comedy category. Yeah. Uh, again, like, comedy in the sense that it's hard to pin it under something else. Again, it's not, like, jokey comedy. But it's it's very, like like, kind of whimsical... And like like tongue in cheek, uh, it, it feels like a wild riff on haunted house movies, like the whole haunted house genre. Mm-hmm. Kind of even before that one really even took off. Um, yeah, it's about a, a a group of schoolgirls who all have 
crazy, like, specific defining nicknames. Like, they're named Fantasy and Gorgeous and Kung Fu and Mac. Like, the, these are the names of the characters. In Did the Quentin all... Tarantino write this? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sure it influenced him in some way, though. But, and so they all end up going to the main one's uh, aunt's house for summer vacation. Hmm. And it turns out that uh, it's kind of very apparent from the beginning that her, her aunt is actually a, a witch. And so and she feeds off of the youth and the vitality of these, these young girls. Uh, and so one by one, they're picked off in different ways. And the the filmmaking in the movie is just so wild. It's hmm. so insane. The the director, um, uh, Nobuhika uh, Obayashi, worked in commercials prior to this. This was his first feature film. And nobody wanted to take it on. It was, it was meant to be kind of like a Western-style blockbuster, mm-hmm. uh, akin to, like, the success of Jaws uh, a couple years prior. And, uh, you know, you know, kind of going off of the horror shtick and stuff. But it's, like, it, the, the filmmaking techniques are so wild and, and bizarre. There's lots of, you know, weird transitions, wipes. Uh, you've got, you know... D- different kind of like uh, they you know they bring the lens in and you know they to, to highlight certain things lots of weird like blue screen effects and like animations over the screen and stuff it's just it's very like surreal and mm-hmm. very uh, un you know like like unreal as a filming experience like you you go in and it doesn't feel like reality in any kind of way it feels like a fever dream okay hmm so I would I would definitely highly recommend it. It gets uh, you know very fun with the kind of creative kills and stuff it does, or, or you know the way it goes after these characters, and uh, definitely towards the end it starts to reach a really nice fever pitch. Where again, like the surreality of it is where the horror comes from. Mm-hmm. It's just so so bizarre and un, unnerving, you know, in the sense that. It... <laughs> of how disconnected from reality you are. Again, even in the beginning, because, like, there's a huge tonal difference. Like, the beginning is very buoyant and alive and, and kind of joyous, almost like, again, like kind of like a, uh, a an, an anime, mm. I, would, I would kind of equate it to in some ways. And so um, it, it's not surprising that it, you know, came from a director who worked primarily in commercials before. But, yeah, very innovative, very fun, and still has lots of, you know, good uh, Halloween aesthetic and style to it. Uh, and yeah, so again, not, not like scary, but definitely, you know, weird and fun. And, mm. uh, I think a perfect, not, not American, you know, fit here. Again, it's still, while still appearing to kind of like Western traditions in the, in the haunted house sense. Yeah. I'm trying to think of if there's any international pictures I would put in. Um, I thought I'd try to squeeze at least one in here. Uh, okay. Going back to Halloween three. Um, did you know that Halloween 3 has an anime adaptation and it's called Cowboy Bebop the Movie? <laughs> I heard you talk about this recently when you... Yeah, I didn't it. I didn't know this, because I've only known about the Cowboy Bebop movie that's, like, just condensing the anime. Like, Cowboy Bebop the Movie, it's very hard to find. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's set on Halloween, and it, like, literally has the same, like, villain plot of Halloween 3, you just swap out, like, Stonehenge magic for, like, nanomachines. So, so, nanomachines in the masks? Uh, uh nanomachines in the pumpkin-shaped balloons. Oh, okay, okay. So, a couple of changes, but yeah, basically that, like, so, so, 
does it also turn children's heads into a pile of snakes and spiders? It makes them think that they are. Okay. Um, yeah, that is, um, like that, I would, that's not benevolent Halloween, that's surprise Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> like I didn't, uh, and it's, it's all over the movie. It's, it's drenched in fall colors. There's a, like a Halloween parade happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. Very, very unexpected from Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I only wish that they had a sort of like spooky jazz song mm-hmm. to go along with it. I'm going to have to find a good song to, to encapsulate the benevolent Halloween to put in, uh, at the end of the show here. Monster I Mash. Imagine. Yeah, I guess that's a good one. That's like the only one. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I mean uh, mo- movie wise, I could pick like a soundtrack should i just put the the young frankenstein putting on the ritz here at the end what about what's something that you're not going to get sued over who who's not going to defend their ip uh put put the mad monster party theme Mm, yeah mad monster party that's one we didn't talk about we talked about the stop motion segment but we i haven't mentioned rankin bass and we didn't mention that we watched mad monster party together (laughs) there's not a lot to mention mad monster party it's rankin bass's only halloween feature and it it was disappointing. It it was. Uh, you know, I found out about it last year when I was looking through their filmographies during Christmas time, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, a Rankin Bass Halloween feature! This sounds wonderful." I I am excited, and it and it has Boris Karloff in it. That should be noted as well. Like those yeah. those two things, I was like, "I'm sold on this. This is going to be great. This is going to be the highlight of my month." The key word there is feature because it's 90 minutes, and most Rankin Bass specials are 30 to 60. And they don't know how to fill time. I don't even know if they could have filled 30 minutes with the material they had here. Like, they get everyone assembled. Like, the opening credits are just contacting all of the Universal monsters, and they all show up at at Boris Karloff's The Island of Evil. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a very weird plot where it's like he's made some chemical that has the power to destroy anything. Yeah. And Um, then it it kind of stops being a... Then Jimmy Stewart shows up. Yeah. Not really Jimmy Stewart, but someone imitating Jimmy Stewart. Look, the main character is Jimmy Stewart, and his superpower is he sneezes when he's excited. (laughs) Um, It's just not... It's just not good. But as far as, like, Rankin-Bass specials, um, I would say it's, like, mid-tier, because the animation and the cinematography is better than you will find in their TV specials. Like, I can I can, I can, can conceive the money on screen. Yeah, but mid-tier is kind of worse, isn't it? Like, yeah. if, we had, if we were more in Leprechaun's Christmas Gold or Cricket on the Hearth you know, territory here. Like, there'd be something to really dive into mm-hmm. and talk about. Those things are, are wildly bad. <laughs> yeah. But this is just really dull. King Kong shows up. He, I know. He rises out of the sea. That was random. King, King Kong is another one that shows up on some Halloween lists. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not a Halloween film. <laughs> Stop it. People are just looking to fill space on their lists. Which is crazy, because here we are. We've been talking for more than an hour. We're hitting plenty. We still got more to go. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't even touched on uh, the Adams Family movies. Mm-hmm. Those are great. Does, uh, the, the, does the, the Ghostbusters count? Ones. I see it show up on a lot. Ghostbusters and like, has to count. 
if if you really want to go for yeah i i tend to not put it on mine i did in the past but now that i've found plenty more i don't but yeah i i would give ghostbusters a pass the the practical effects um you know it's got some seasonal aspect to it it looks like new york and it does have that what we were talking about where it's got it's got like actual scares that it lets happen yeah yeah uh, probably the first two. I don't know about the others. Maybe. I haven't seen the others. So mm. There's a new Ghostbusters movie, isn't it? Isn't it getting like totally like railed by critics? Yeah. I mean, to me, all Ghostbuster movies are 7 out of 10. Um, Even the first? Yeah, I just don't have that much fondness. It's kind of like Beetlejuice for me, where I just don't really care about Beetlejuice. Oh, oh, oh you're breaking my heart. Beetlejuice, I think, is a genuine... Halloween classic. Mm. I lo- I like Beetlejuice a whole lot. Um, uh, again, Danny Elfman score just knocking it out of the park. I often compare because the Danny Elfman score for Beetlejuice sounds a lot like the Halloween Town musicals. Uh, the, the, the score for it. I would need to go so, back and hear it. <laughs> oh yeah, J- just just listen to both of the themes, the opening themes for them. They sound almost identical. I feel like someone needs to cut Danny Elfman a check. Mm. But. Yeah, Beetlejuice, I, I I really like again. Winona Ryder's really fantastic in it with that that gloomy teenager feeling. I, I love everyone in it. Um, Alec Baldwin's you know really good too. You know, yeah. it's, it's one of those few times where it's like Alec Baldwin's doing really good in a movie. And of course, Michael Keaton's just iconic. And the mm-hmm. the the aesthetic of the Dead World is really great. The mm-hmm. heavy Dr. Caligari visuals that you know Burton really loves. Yeah, it's just it's got that mood and aesthetic so so down pat, and it's a lot of fun. It's not perfect, especially because like the plot is just like really convoluted and doesn't matter <laughs> eventually. No, yeah, it's one of those uh, movies where the story is very straightforward, but the plot is not. Yeah. That's a that's a great way of describing it. But as far as like for for Tim Burton films, I think it's really up up there for in terms of you know how his achievements. Um, again, it, it may not be as uh, thorough as, as some of his later efforts and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I think it stands up better than even like you know the first Batman movie. Mm. But yeah. Um, let me go ahead and throw in one, a classic that I've discovered, an older film that fits this bill. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, one that I've found for a couple of seasons now. So, uh, what, what of, you know, before more more recent times, uh, one, one of the icons of horror was a man we all know and love named Vincent Price. Ah. Yeah, but the majority of the Vincent Price horror movies... I think skewed more towards straight up horror than than benevolent horror. Mm-hmm. But one I really enjoy is called The Raven. It yes, was... you turned me on to this last year. Yes, did you watch it? Yeah, I don't. Ah, oh, yes, I'm so glad. So I, I I couldn't remember if you had or not. I've been telling everyone about this since I found it. Um, it's you know the uh, directed by Roger Corman, uh, mm-hmm. and after doing um, a bucket of blood. And Little Shop of Horrors, uh, in a kind of you know, in an attempt to be more comedic, uh, to yeah. lean into the cheapness. Uh, th- this is where he ended up, and he's got you know some real stars here, you know, because you've got uh, not only Vincent Price, but you've got Boris Karloff in the mix and Peter Laurie, mm-hmm. and and 
Jack Nicholson's here as well in an early role, and he's pretty was he in that as well? Yes, yes, Jack Nicholson. He plays Peter Lorre's son in the movie. Oh my god, I didn't recognize him. Oh yeah, you can you can hear it in his voice, and especially there's there's one moment where he puts on the famous like Jack Nicholson grin as he's kind of like oh. possessed by something, and you could you could see it for sure. But yeah, very young Jack Nicholson role here. Uh, but it's it's terrific. It has nothing to do with the Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, poem. No, nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I've read it's some like, Poe, and that's—I I don't think it has anything to do with Poe, even remotely. It it uh, Vincent Price narrates some of the poem in the beginning, and then it throws it all out the window because uh, a, a, a raven flies in and mocks him in Peter Lorre's voice, and you know you're in for something special from that moment on. <laughs> P- Peter Lorre has been turned into a raven by Boris Karloff. And it just becomes like kind of a, a madcap, silly uh, <laughs> uh, Some great adventure. gags in that. Oh yes, it's it's very funny, very tongue in cheek. The rapport between Laurie and Price is terrific, and it's it's got and again, it's more adult oriented humor. It ends on a big dick joke from Boris Karloff at yeah. the end, which is which is great. <laughs> Uh, I love some of the effects in it. There's like a great wizard duel at the end between Karloff and, and Price, and they have this cool like light show essentially going on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's somewhat weirdly paced. You, you can feel the cheapness still kind of throughout it. It does feel like it was kind of just. But that's like kind together. of the the appeal. Yeah, I absolutely. think if we're going back to what makes something a benevolent Halloween movie, I think cheapness is a big factor. Oh, yes, I would say. Again, there, there's definitely some more quality-made uh, benevolent Halloween films, but the cheapness is usually a factor here in appreciation. And this one, I think, really nails it. There's another one that Corman did just after with some of the same setup, but they had Basil Rathbone in it, too, called uh, Comedy of Terrors. Mm. He produced it, and, and he had somebody else direct, but um, it was not as good for me. Uh, I was disappointed. But this one, this one lived up. They just released it on Blu-ray over here this year, and I pre-ordered it and bought it right away. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> before now, it was very hard to get on on DVD. It was very expensive. I don't remember where I first saw it. No, I, I think I rented it. I think I rented it from Movie Madness over here. Because, I, again, I was, I was like flipping through filmographies, because that's what I do sometimes when I come across yeah. these, these films. But, yeah, that one's definitely, again, a classic to recommend for people who love those kind of films. Especially, again, Peter Lorre pops up in all of these despite being dead for the majority. Yeah, it's weird. Like, (laughs) other than The Raven, was Peter Lorre even, like, a horror guy? No, no, because the thing is that Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, they're, you know, they're horror icons. They were in, you know, plenty of horror films. Uh, Peter Peter Lorre... um, He's in uh, Mad Love from 1935, which is uh, an American adaptation of The Hands of Warlock, like a German expressionist film. Yeah. Uh, but, like, that's not a classic by any means. <laughs> he's in Corpse Bride. Oh, I mean, I mean his his uh, image is in Corpse Bride. No, no, he was dead by then. Oh, okay. It was, it's, someone, it's someone doing... Again, same thing with, like, we, we saw in Mad Monster Party. There's a... He he usually gets cast kind of as like an a, an Igor character, even though he never B- played Bella, that. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was Bella Lugosi who who played Igor, which is kind of ironic. Uh, he he was the one who kind of yeah originated the idea of Igor. The the, the there was an Igor I think in Bride uh, Bride of Frankenstein or the first one. There was an assistant of some kind, but it was never Igor. Igor was really defined in Son of Frankenstein as played by. 
Boris Karloff. Yeah. And then he went on to kind of continue the character in, in various iterations through the rest of the series. So, and th- that's always an interesting one because we, we show uh, Society Boris, Bella Lugosi. Have I been saying Boris Karloff? I feel like I've been saying Boris Karloff. You said Bella Lugosi when you needed to okay. say Bella Lugosi. Good. All right. Uh, yeah. So, but we usually associate him with just strictly as Dracula, mm. but he really is, you know, as, as integral with the, the Frankenstein part too. Yeah. Do we, would you count the, the universal horrors as benevolent Halloweens? I know they were kind of like the, the starting point for many people. I think they're benevolent Halloween now because they're not as scary mm-hmm. to modern audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are rooted, like, you know, every benevolent Halloween movie has a Wolfman, a Frankenstein, and a Dracula. So, yeah, I would think they would qualify as sort of, like, fringe-ish. Yeah, I, I think they, they qualify nowadays, I kind of agree, again, especially because they're the starting point for many young viewers. And they have been, you know, ever since they were really circulated a lot on yeah. TV. They were... Um, and they played in movie houses repeatedly uh, throughout, like, the 50s and 60s. Um, because, and specifically for kids, because they weren't as scary. They were made even originally not to be out-and-out terrifying. You know, they were meant for a for a general audience. So, mm. uh, yeah, I think they, they kind of count in there. But they're not as much the, the seasonal ones that we're kind of hooking on. Again, the ones that are more uh, aesthetically. Again, aesthetically, yeah. they're... They're, they're a different breed from the autumnal uh, benevolent Halloween films. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. Um, let's I, see. I, I think we've got one more big one that we have to talk about. A new one, in fact. Yeah. And then I've got I've got a list of ones that don't qualify that I, that I kind of want to run by you. But sure. Uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion just came out this month. Yes. And we not only watched it, we watched it together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, this kind of you know brings us back around to where we started here. You're coming on the first time for, for a Muppet show. Yes. Now you're back to talk about more Muppets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, this sort of is meant to herald a new age of Muppetry. Do you, do you think it succeeds? <laughs> yes. Okay. I think it's a good start for a new age of Muppets. Um... If nothing comes of it, then it will be disappointing. Um, I I think Muppet Haunted Mansion had a lot to live up to. It has to be a Muppet movie and a Haunted Mansion movie, and it has to be a new Muppet movie. Yeah, I I guess it should be noted as well that this is, I I think also not just in its presentation, but advertised as a Muppet special more than a full out-and-out movie. But it is is technically feature-length. It's just under an hour. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not like, you know, a, a return to the full fledged features of, you know, your, your, uh, treasure islands or Christmas carols Mm -hmm. or Muppets from space or whatever. Yeah. And hmm, where to begin with Muppet Haunted Mansion? I like that it's not a, it's more a Muppet movie than it is a Haunted Mansion movie. Mm -hmm. Which is generally the case when they kind of dip their toes into other properties uh you know usually the other property they're involved with provides a structure mm. for 
the Muppet shenanigans that are going on. Yeah. And as, as far as properties you could choose to integrate with the Muppets, this one's pretty ideal. It's uh, especially since the Haunted Mansion has never got a proper representation beyond its its theme park ride. I, we can talk about the Eddie Murphy movie, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that um I think Muppet Haunted Mansion needed a few more dollars in about 10 more minutes. Um yeah, I was I I was surprised by how it just throws you right into the the stuff in the beginning. I was uh, I think it could use a little bit more setup to to start but also a little bit more throughout there's there's definitely like an imbalance it, for for how short it is it tries to do way too much <laughs> yeah no i i would say that i think you could have either trimmed or just a rewrite in general um because the premise is is that gonzo is partaking in this uh challenge where he has to stay the night at a haunted mansion where his favorite magician the great MacGuffin, passed away a hundred years ago and Pepe the Prawn is also there. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we can't use Rizzo anymore because Disney uh, separated ties with the guy who mm. uh, voiced him, who also did Kermit. So this is also the first new film with the new Kermit with voice. With Matt Vogel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a fair choice. There, There's not a lot of Kermit in this, so it's, it's, it's a little hard to judge how well he does, it should be said. Mm-hmm. Which is also interesting for a, a Muppet movie. You know, li- Little Kermit. And li- a little all of the staples, really. Again, like, Gonzo and Pepe are, are center stage. And you've got some, basically, cameos from the rest of the, the Muppet cast. Yeah. Um, I think there and... are some, like, very inspired ideas. Like, the fact that, like, playing into the fact that, like, Gonzo is fearless. Like, he shoots himself out of cannons for a living he he has no fear so nothing in the haunted mansion phases him yes that's that's, I think that, that's a great, great idea great great idea and it works really well and they play into that a lot again like because because they have they have will arnett as a as a ghost host who is just will arnett yeah in the movie and that's <laughs> that's not 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 a great element of it but it, like throughout he's constantly like oh are you scared now gonzo and he's like what no <laughs> And, yeah. and that's always really good. Again, the, the characterization of Gonzo, I think, is the strongest element of this. And mm-hmm. part of that, I think it helps, is that his his originator performer uh, is still doing him. You yeah. know, he's one of the few, few Muppet performers to still be playing the character he originated, which goes the same for Pepe the Prawn. He's also, you know, got the same guy. So they, again, they, these guys have decades of experience with their characters. Mm-hmm. So putting them at the front, I think, was a smart move because they are you know, largely the the best thing about the special. Yeah, Pepe is an odd choice because he's a character I always prefer in smaller doses. As a Mm -hmm. quote-unquote main character, I was very worried I would grow tired of him. And I really only grew tired of his plot. Yeah, I think him as a character, he's enjoyable all the way through. He's got a very distinct characterization. He works well in a team with Gonzo here. And uh, he works well even within his his narrative, even though his narrative is very tiring and distracting. Mm. Yeah. And I think, like, why is there no grim grinning ghosts? I'm just going to rip yeah. that band-aid off. Yeah, yeah. It's a... You get a, a verse. You get a verse of it at the end of an otherwise forgettable song in the beginning. Yeah, the prospect <laughs> of a Muppet version of grim grinning ghosts, that's like cash in the bank. Yeah, yeah. Again, so much. That's and that's the thing that comes down to the main 
core idea here is that by you're you're marrying these two beloved properties. People love the haunted mansion. Yeah, it's is one of the few original Disney you know rides. Not based that, on anything. Yeah, that has an identity of its own. Again, like it and Pirates of the Caribbean were cousins. And now Pirates has gone off in a completely different direction because that was a runaway success, you know, with yeah. Johnny Depp. And now it's it's associated with that film entirely. Mm-hmm. You know, the the concept of Pirates of the Caribbean existing prior to that movie is just kind of like erased from from popular memory. Yeah. But Haunted Mansion is still a Haunted Mansion. It's got all of its lore with it. It's got all of its iconography. Uh, and it's still, you know, running and very popular nowadays. Again, the, the most association it has with another property is the seasonal decoration with Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, when yeah. it takes over. But, so, so giving it a, a chance here with uh, the, the Muppets and kind of integrating that lore, that story, uh, and, and those aesthetics of it with the Muppets, uh, again, it's very smart. And, and to use that as a structure, you know, they're going through with the, the stretching hallway and stuff. You've got the the ballroom scene and stuff and yeah. Madame Leota, which is Madame Pagoda. Madame Pagoda now. is a great pun. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that they, again, but you know, part, part of the problem with that scene is that it's like, uh, they, they try and lampshade the fact that they are not giving much time to their star Muppets by making constant reference to it. Yeah. The Muppets have always been very meta, but yes. modern Muppets are especially meta. Yeah. Cause that's like, very, very in vogue, very popular way of doing things. Again, I, I want to say... Kids like, are very fond of winking at the camera these days. Probably yeah. because of YouTubers. I don't know, there's probably an essay to be written there, but... Potentially. I, I was going to draw a direct parallel more so with, like, The Office, because, again, like, the, mm-hmm. you know, when the Muppets did a kind of interpretation of that as well, with, uh, you know, they, they take a swing at that kind of... TV making as well. Mm-hmm. Again, where, where you're literally interacting with the camera, I think, you know, once, once that barrier started being broken down, there wasn't much going back. Yeah. Um, I think the issue with Muppet Haunted Mansion is that once you're in the ending, it feels like there should be more runtime left. Um, because they do have this very, like, tantalizing introspection of Gonzo's character. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, what what is the fear of someone who does, like, daredevilry for a living? And the answer is, well, spoilers for Muppet Haunted Mansion, the answer is obscurity and um, that people won't like him if he's not a daredevil. He, he, this idea of greatness, again, the, you know, Gonzo the Great, as he's always kind of known as, and he's afraid that people won't recognize him as great if he doesn't continue to do daring things yeah and that's that's a really good arc a good narrative arc for for gonzo as a story and it feels a little squandered because they don't give it enough runway to build up to it's it's there they only just like barely if you're not familiar with particularly the muppet show era then like they really have to say like oh yeah gonzo i i shoot myself out of cannons for a living um, mm-hmm. The issue is, is that around the 90s, Gonzo chilled out. Like, right. he hasn't shot himself out of a cannon for a long time. They they rotated him more to being, like, just an eccentric. Yeah. Um, so that's that's an odd arc to take that, um, especially without any setup. I said that it should have been uh, Gonzo is, like, 
live streaming himself. He's doing urban exploring. Um, yeah, I, I like what they did with it. I like that arc that they chose. I just wish they spent more time investing in it, particularly because I think the, the highlight of the film is the scene in which he's confronting his fears in the mirror, particularly when, when they pull out the creepy aged Gonzo Muppet. Yeah, the horror Gonzo. That's that's a great puppet. It it looks genuinely great. It's really unnerving and and kind of really perfect for that scene mm. as well. Definitely the high point of the film for me. The issue with that scene is that it's constantly cutting from that emotional climax to Pepe getting it on with Taraji P. Henson. Yeah. As yep. Uh, Constance Hatchaway. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the big nail in the coffin for it there. It's it's constantly undercutting the tension and the emotions of Gonzo's scene with the dumb bride plot that Pepe is involved in. Yeah. Um you know, it's like we've been saying like, you know, for it for a benevolent Halloween thing to work, it has to it has to play it straight or yeah. as straight as it can. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the Halloween tree works because it lets that emotionality be like linger um and other things that like scare you when you're young scare you because they didn't undercut it and i think uh muppets haunted mansion while i don't need it to be scary um i think it could have i don't know i think there's a germ of a good idea here and it just needed a, a few passes I'm I'm just so in love with the idea of these two properties coming together. They could have really been amazing. It's like that idea sounds like such gold on paper. Could have been easily the best interpretation of of both of these properties. Uh, you know, in in decades, really. Uh, and it's just not. It's it's unfortunately not up to the the potential that it had. It's still it decent. It's got some know? good gags, like when yeah. Statler and Waldorf come in on a doom buggy. Mm-hmm. Um. That's that's very funny. Um, yeah. If only the CG looked better. <laughs> yeah, the CG in this is a little rough. Luckily, there's not, like, a ton of it, but lots of, like, unnecessary things, like CG backgrounds. Yeah, I would have liked it if they leaned more into, like, pulling from Jim Henson's horror work. Like, you could have had some Dark Crystal, like, Skeksis in there or something. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's Fraggle statues, if you're looking for them. <laughs> yeah, and and that's I think where the real appeal is is like if you're a big time Muppets fan or a big time Haunted Mansion fan or a big time both of those fans, there's lots of little things and references throughout yeah. to the history of both that you'll be able to pick up on those kind of going on in the background. They they obviously put a lot of thought into those two worlds, like those yeah. those two more so than the actual like story and, and filmmaking. I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is really a lot for for those fans of those, and if you're big into either of those, you're gonna find some some nice nods and winks for you. Yeah, I just don't think it does anything. Like, does this movie even scan if you've never been on the haunted mansion? Oh, I no, probably I don't, not. I don't think, no, there's I've, I, again, and it's, it goes by so fast. Like you, I, I think you'd be forgiven for not realizing how much of this is like core to the ride and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like, some of the bits are just over and done with so quickly. You don't even get a chance to really spend with it. Again, like one, one of the most iconic things, the hitchhiking ghosts are, are a very fast punchline at the very end of the film. Yeah. It, it could have been so much better. It's sad to see them squander the the potential of the, the, the Haunted Mansion, yeah. you know, for, 
for specials like this. Like, like I said, if it's if some if things come of it, if we get more like direct to stream Muppet specials, then I'll be happy with it because then it's part of a set. But yeah. as a standalone film or special, however you want to qualify it, it's it's pretty weak. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I hope that it does open the door for more because do I want to see the. Yeah, I want to see the Muppets do more things again. I, yeah. And I especially love when the Muppets are working within, you know, b- b- because of their inherently meta nature, you know, when they're working within the realm of an established property or idea. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it has better potential, I think, than even, some, the, again, some of their original ones going back to, like, the, the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I think. Uh, just do more Muppet adaptations of Disneyland rides. Yeah, I, I think it could work. Muppet uh, Big oh, Thunder yeah. Mountain, Muppet Tower of Terror, mm-hmm. Muppet Carousel of Progress. Let's go. I think Muppet Tower of Terror would be a good follow-up for... Didn't they do, like, a Toy Story Tower of Terror thing? No, there was a Disney Channel movie that was the Tower of Terror. Oh, okay. It had Haley Joel Osment at the peak of his Kingdom Hearts fame. <laughs> I think he... Uh, I, Weirdly enough, I think your your mention of Haley Joel Osment is a good transition for me into my last topic here on Benevolent Halloween. Okay. And that is films that are often put in these lists that have no reason being in this list sure. at all. And, and I will start by saying The Sixth Sense is not a Halloween movie. No, it, it's absolutely not. What, yeah. just because there are dead people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So So just before the show here... I went through some of those those lists, like I mentioned earlier, looking for, for some ideas that maybe I hadn't come across. And there were a number of strange choices. Yeah. Um, and and I want to list a couple of them here to you to, to see, to, to get your feeling on it here, on which ones do and don't belong. Sure. And Sixth Sense one of them. I saw other things like Ghost, Patrick Swayze. No. Yep. Ghost no, Dad no. with Bill Cosby is more appropriate. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, lots of lots of zombie films seem to make the cut. <laughs> zombie Land, for instance. No. Sha- Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead's at least set at fall. I could get that. Actually, the whole like Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. I I could see a case being made. Even even for Hot Fuzz. Yeah, because it's also like set at fall. Is it? I guess I don't know. It's it's, it's got a mystery to it. But anyway, it's. We're stretching the definition yeah. at that point, for sure. Um, and in the same thing, they had, like, I saw warm bodies on a couple of lists. No. Yeah, it's like, yeah, just because it has zombies in it doesn't make it inherently Halloween. No. Yeah. Yeah. And again, same way, uh, here's here's another Tim Burton one. Uh, I've got Edward Scissorhands. No, isn't that a Christmas movie, technically? It's Yeah, it's it's way more Christmas, but it shows up on, on all of these lists because it's... You know, it's Tim Burton and, and Johnny Depp's guy in a leather suit. Also, the movie really should be called Edward Scissor Fingers. That, yeah. that dude has hands. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Tremors earlier. Tremors shows up on a lot of these lists. I don't. That's really mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Again, it's it's weird. I saw I saw Goonies on a couple of lists. Goonies, I could maybe see a case being made for. It's just, just not. I think the only reason that it shows up on the list is because there's genuine child peril. Like it's it's got some fear in that these kids are going to get actually kidnapped and and you know taken yeah. by the. I could see 
and sloth, I guess, because he's monster-ish. But like again, it's there, there's nothing about it aesthetically that's Halloween. It's set on the Oregon coast. Yeah, and we're not we're not very Halloweeny up here. I mean, at least in like the Astoria, you know, there, there, yeah. it's on a beach, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monsters Inc. I saw. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier when we were talking about things that's sort of like tangentially related. But no, to me, Monsters. If it's like an all year movie, if like yeah. I can watch it any time of the year, then it's not. It doesn't qualify. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silence of the Lambs came up on a couple of lists, and I don't know. Again, you're you're, you're stretching. You're stretching here. I get that it's it's scary-ish without being a horror movie explicitly, but there's nothing about it that's Halloween-y. No. Um, one I saw that I was like, I would probably give this one a pass, but kind of technically doesn't qualify, is Clue. I think Clue counts. Yeah, I would say just barely. I think, yeah. I think anything with Tim Curry in it (laughs) maybe gets a pass for the benevolent Halloween list. Can I I chalk Legend up to being a Halloween film then? He he plays the devil. He's he's a giant... (laughs) The devil's not really a Halloween monster, though. You'd be surprised. I mean, if, if you put on any Halloween playlist, like, you'd be surprised how many... Like, uh, every single one of them has sympathy for the devil in it. Yeah. And that song has, has zero Halloween aesthetic. No. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. There's, again, it's it's not even, like, a literal devil that they're they're referencing in it. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. But I'll say, uh, here's here's the last one on, on the inverse of that. Uh... A film I saw on every single one of these lists that just makes no fucking sense to me at all is Labyrinth. It was on every list. Every list had Labyrinth as a Halloween movie. Yeah, Labyrinth. Labyrinth's not a Halloween movie. No, it's not. Again, like, I wouldn't even argue... I wouldn't even argue that Dark Crystal is a Halloween movie. Definitely But it's not. closer. It's closer than Labyrinth ever is. No. Yeah, that one's... That one's weird to me. Because, like, Jim Henson... The Jim Henson Hour, which is what he did after um, The Muppet Show, that has some Halloween-ish episodes of it. Um, and that's where a lot of, like, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal designs came from. But no, Labyrinth itself is not. It's it was on every single list. It's... I was so perplexed by that. No, I mean, the most argument you can make is that yes, it's set at fall, um, because it's like the it's the autumn before the main character like goes back to uh, like like high school or goes to yeah. high school for the first time. Um, but that's not enough. And again, like I, I think it gets lumped in in the same way that, like you know, like the the argument you made for uh, stop motion and that the pup, puppets, Muppets, and such are also they, they they kind of fall into that almost uncanny valley area of real but unreal. Like Return to Oz is more of a Halloween movie than Labyrinth because mm-hmm. there's an actual character that has a pumpkin for a head. Right. 
Yeah, you could you could make an argument for it. It would be a strained argument, but you could make an argument for it. Yeah. Whereas I feel like you're you're standing on nothing here with Labyrinth. Labyrinth makes zero sense no. of Halloween film. That's like um Yeah. I've seen some lists that have gremlins on it. Yeah, I've seen and that, that too, one's and thoroughly I... that one's set at Christmas. It's explicitly right. a Christmas movie. It is, uh, but even then, even then, I see that argument better than I do Labyrinth because you've got the more horror elements of the Gremlins, and again, the more, you know, the and, and Gremlins as a concept are are more benevolent, uh, you know, Halloween idea. But again, it is it is explicitly a Christmas movie. It's a horror movie set at Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but but Labyrinth just has it has nothing in this at all. I can't. I can't. No, even it doesn't to touch on any of like the themes. That you would associate with a benevolent Halloween, maybe something along the lines of like growing up, but no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that was the the odd encounters that came at the end of this here. I know there's a couple that uh, we didn't touch on, probably just because we personally don't have any bias or any interest in them or have no experience. So I'm just gonna list off a couple of those. I know people really love Hocus Pocus. That's the one that gets. You know, mention a lot for a lot of people. I, I don't have any nostalgia for yeah. Hocus Pocus. Ne- neither do I. Sorry, uh, Bette Midler. <laughs> uh, I, uh, Nicholas Rowling's The Witches with Angelica Houston. Okay, yeah. The the, the, the Roald Dahl one. I know, you know, we mentioned Robert Zemeckis earlier. He just did a, a, a remake of that with uh, Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. and I heard it was shit. Sure. Um, yeah, I the, think, the hotel... I think yeah. witch movies in general kind of get a pass because witches are yeah, a very yeah. Halloweeny concept. Is, is, pra- is Practical Magic a, a Halloween movie? Yes. <laughs> Again, we, we we're just not in, invested as much in in these these witch movies here. But yeah, I think uh there there's a lot of affection for for the witches, uh especially mm. again as a as a rolled all property as well. Yeah. So uh the the Hotel Transylvania movies are pretty popular, aren't they? I'll go to bat for those. Yeah. Um probably I, more so than these animated Adams family movies that are coming out. No, and those are directly trying to rip off. Um the thing I'll give about the Hotel Transylvania movies is if you are an animation head, um those movies have some tremendous animation because they're all directed by Gennady Tarkovsky, um, yeah. the Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory guy. And he's actually pioneering um, animation technology that converts 2D sketches to 3D models. So, um, Because the thing with 3D animation is there's not a lot of stretch and pull to the characters. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind of stiff in comparison. Whereas if you look at like any sort of like Looney Tunes, like, 2D animated thing. The characters are, like, m- off-model all the time. And so he's uh, working to make 3D animation more like 2D, and the um, Hotel Transylvania movies are sort of his thesis statement for that. They're very fast-paced and got a lot of rapid-fire comedy. I- I- I'll go to bat for those. I-, I remember watching the first one with my dad at the theater and uh, finding it very enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, I have not I have not revisited it since, nor any of the other ones. I know there's there's a new one coming up. Yeah. Next. I year. mean that yeah. the issue with them being wildly popular is that we'll keep seeing them being made, and therefore the artistry will be gone. <laughs> but well, it's same, and, and I guess that's also comes with the territory of being an Adam Sandler vehicle. Mm. Which, speaking of, I know there was a recent Adam Sandler Halloween movie. Who be Halloween? 
Yeah. There's a there's a scene in that movie where a character's holding a cat and makes an offhanded mention to like neutering or spaying and the cat's mm-hmm. eyes are CG animated to grow larger for like <laughs> 2 seconds. Uh, uh I think that tells you just about everything you know need to know about that one. But yeah, I would say otherwise. I think we pretty thoroughly covered the the benevolent Halloween subject matter. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's more more to discover, but it's going to say take in a the few comments below. Can... Yeah, yeah, share share with us what your favorite benevolent Halloween movie is. Um, oh, oh, a quick shout out uh, the, the Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> oh yes, yes, I I can't believe we overlooked that during our TV you know bit. Yeah, obviously a, a a favorite. I don't know how well it's been going at the last couple seasons of Simpsons, but I imagine it's still going strong. I watched a recent one, and yeah, it it helped. It it was fine. That's good. The issue with I, the Treehouse of Horrors is that sometimes they don't do Halloween things. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Murph, thanks again for coming on and talking at length about this subject. I think we went a little long, but there's wow. a lot to cover, so. It's all good. Hopefully you'll return again and maybe Calvin won't be so scared as to come join us for once. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. No, next time it's going to be me and Steven. <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah, I guess we're we're just rotating all the casts. Full uh, full guest host episode of Twin Geeks. Just just go ahead. Um, you you'll know we'll jump have jumped the shark once James Corden comes on and <laughs> guest for an episode. <laughs> In the meantime, that's not going to happen though. Next week we will actually be back with uh, Calvin here, and uh, we're actually bringing back our, our Halloween buddy uh, Jesse to talk about Halloween too. Yeah, talk uh, about some not-so-benevolent Halloweens. Yeah, yeah. We're dusting them off for, for the one time of the year that, that we remember to, to bring him out and talk about his his favorite subject matter. Mm-hmm. So Halloween 2, look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, thanks everyone for tuning in. Make sure, as always, to check out our website, thetwingeeks.com, for our latest reviews, retrospectives, and features. You can follow us on Twitter as well, at thetwingeeks. Don't forget to check out our sister video game show, The Daydream Cast, with Pablo's and Broken, as well as our Ringing the Monsters, the Kaiju podcast with uh, Calvin and Steven. Both are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are played. Leave a review and rating if you can, and we'll see you next week for another conversation on classic and contemporary cinema. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the match. They did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They did the match. It caught on in a flash. They did the match. They did the monster match. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. 